Today we're going to conclude what we started last week, which was part one of the armor of God. Now this is part two of the armor of God, so you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter six and we'll read there. Last week we looked at preparation, what it meant to be prepared to make our stand in an evil day. And certainly you would agree, I think, that we are living in an evil day. We're living in a day where we are assailed from all sides with all manner of things. But I want to remind you, it has always been this way, which is the reason the apostle wrote to the church and said, be ready to make your stand. Be ready when the evil day comes that you will be equipped for that. He told us last week we need to have the belt of truth on. You remember we talked about living with that belt of truth around us, girding us up. It's kind of that foundational piece that we put on every day. It holds everything together. We need to be grounded in the truth, understanding that truth isn't personal. No matter what people say, that's always a funny thing, isn't it? When people say you need to live your truth. What does that mean? You can't live your truth and I live my truth if they're mutually exclusive. Truth can't be both ways. So you can live your opinion or you can live how you want to live and you can try to make it true, but you can't live your truth. You have to live the truth. You have to be grounded in that. We were told to put on the breastplate of righteousness and we talked about that being the righteousness of Christ in our lives given to us at the cross because we weren't perfect. We weren't able to live a righteous life before God, but Christ Jesus who died in our place became the righteousness for us. We were told last week that as we lived in the righteousness of Christ, we're also to chase the righteousness of Christ, meaning that we don't want to give Satan any room to attack us. So we want to live in an obedient manner to the Lord Jesus Christ in every way that we can. We were told to put the footwear on, the gospel of peace, the preparation of the gospel of peace to be ready to share that which changed our lives, which was the gospel. It, it literally transformed our lives and we understand that that's the way we transform the world is one life at a time. I wanna read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 and verse 21 where Paul talks about this for us. He says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin for us uh, to know sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Paul says that to us, it's, it's this beautiful picture. And if I could just say this to everyone in the room this morning, what we are as believers is an ambassador. We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I stand here this morning, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know, while you may think of me maybe as the pastor of Judson Baptist Church and the ambassador of the church, I'm glad to do that, but I'm really an ambassador for Christ. And I want you to hear this appeal this morning let Jesus save you from your sins because that's the gospel message in a nutshell that, that Christ became sin for us. He who did not know sin became sin so that we might have the righteousness of God applied over our lives. And the Bible says that when we allow Christ Jesus to forgive us of our sins and be the mediator between God to reconcile us. See that word reconcile means something's missing. Something is broken. 
And so we're reconciling the world to God through Christ Jesus. That's the whole point of the gospel is so that we might have a whole relationship with God the Father again. It's not fractured anymore. And that is our appeal to you this morning. And so as we look at this next passage, we're gonna see in Ephesians chapter six, three more pieces of armor. And I want you to look with me in verses 16 and 17 this morning. In every situation, or maybe your translation says, above all, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When he says in every situation or above all, he's, he's obviously not saying you know, that this is the most important thing. He's saying, don't forget. Above everything else, you need to remember this. And if you notice, there's this admonition to do something, and then there's three pieces again. We did that last week. This week, the admonition is a little bit different. It says to take with you, to take up, to put on, to grasp, to lay hold of for yourself. And the thing that he's telling us to do is it's moving us into the battle realm. Last week, we were making preparation, weren't we, to take our stand. This week, it's a little bit different because what we're doing is, in fact, taking hold of something so that we can start the fight. Without these three pieces of equipment, we will not be ready to fight. We won't be ready for the battle that's coming. And so I want you to see what they are. And I want you to see this morning how you have to lay hold of them and you have to grasp them. You have to take them every day and make them your own. Put them over your life. We start with the shield of faith. The apostle says in every situation, take the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. In Roman life, there were two types of shields. There was the shield that you might think about like a gladiator would use in the arena. It's small, it's circular, and it allows him to move and parry a blow. That's not the shield that's talking about here. There's a shield also that would go from kind of below the knees up to above the shoulders, and it would be big, it would be curved, and it allowed Roman soldiers to stand in line together and almost, as we would think, lock arms. They're, they're not locking arms, but they're locking shields together. And, and what it's really intended for, if you think about it like this, uh, if you've ever been part of a military exercise or you've, you've studied any military history, you often know that a barrage of artillery comes first, and that kind of softens up the defenses so that an attack might be made. Well, in Roman life, it was the same way. It would not have been unusual for flaming arrows to be shot by archers. It would not have been unusual for flaming things to be thrown by catapult. And so what happened is, in that front line, these guys had these shields, and they would get together and huddle under those shields, and it would do a couple of things. It was often said that those shields were prepared for the flaming arrows. So it wasn't just wood, but oftentimes they were dampened pieces of wood and leather kind of laminated together so that when an arrow came, it would be extinguished and not set on fire. You can imagine what it would be like to not only be under fire. I mean, it'd be bad enough. You ever watch any of these movies where they, they show the archers, you know, shooting that and you look up and all you see is arrows coming. I mean, I can't think of anything worse, you know, give me a bullet. At least I don't know that it's coming. You know what I'm saying? But just having to sit there and watch it come in on you, it's just awful, right? So the fiery element to that made it even more confusing. 
because nobody wants that. And so all of a sudden he says, take this shield of faith so that you can extinguish these things, this opening barrage that's thrown at you. Now, when we talked about this last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago, we really talked about the understanding, the idea that there were strategies and schemes that our enemy uses against us. Strategies and schemes. And a strategy is an overarching thing, right? It, it, it's, it's what we want to see happen. And we know that that's uh, given to us from the Gospel of John where it says our enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. So anything that has to do with that, you, you know that's of the enemy. But then there are schemes, those individualized things that the enemy uses against us. And that's what he's talking about here. The, these fiery darts being thrown at us or shot at us or catapulted at us. He says, you need to be ready for them. And how do we deal with that in these specific temptations? When we find ourselves under pressure, when we find ourselves really up against it, what he says is, you take the shield of faith and you extinguish it. Well, what is the shield of faith? The shield of faith really is something that's important for us to know. It's the belief that we have in God, the belief that we have in God's promises. It's not faith just for the sake of faith. That's kind of a buzzword today. Have you noticed that? People say, I have faith. Years ago, I was on an airplane flight and I happened to be seated across from a stewardess who was sitting in a jump seat right there in a little smaller plane. And she had a pretty big ring on that said faith. And I said, I can't help but notice your ring what, what does that mean to you? And I was wondering if she might say something about uh, a living and active faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, I, I just learned a long time ago, I have to believe that things are going to work out. And I said, well, what do you mean? She was like, you know, it's just kind of that positive mindset that things are going to work out. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's not, it's not just belief in yourself. We're told to do that all the time. Just believe in yourself. I mean, that's not, not true. If you're up against a task, I hope you will believe in yourself. But there's something so much bigger than that, isn't there? When it talks about faith, we're talking about faith in the Lord. We're talking about faith in God. We're talking about faith in the promises of God. One of my favorite hymns uh, said it like this. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. It's not what we believe. It's not in something. What is it? It's in Jesus Christ and that he died for me. That, that, that's the, the, the faith that has a resting place. It's on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the promises of God being, being ex, uh, examined and, and, and applied to our lives over and over again. And I think that's very important for us to see. In fact, one writer said it like this, faith is when we apply belief quickly. When we apply belief quickly, so, so that means something for us. It's really easy for us sometimes when, when we're standing against the fiery trials or we're against uh, the enemy and he's coming to tempt us, it's really easy for us to look at the troubles that are in our lives and lose sight of our faith. It's really easy for us to look at what surrounds us and miss the fact that God is so much bigger than that. You remember that last week we talked about how often it is that the tempter comes to us and he gets us to question things. Did God really say? Do you think God means that? That was for old times. God doesn't mean that for today. Come on. Everyone knows that. God didn't mean that. Maybe God doesn't want you to do this because God doesn't want you to have fun. 
God wants you to have fun and, and surely he would want you to do these things. God doesn't want you to be happy. There's no way that you can be happy. God doesn't want you. You should be miserable if you serve the Lord. All those things are lies from the enemy. So we have to apply belief quickly to those things. Early on in my ministry career, I was confronted with what felt like an overwhelming crisis of faith. I'd been pastoring for less than a year when I was called by one of the key members of our church to go make a hospital visit away about two hours away from where I lived and visit her son who was intensive care unit. He's a young man. He'd been working, carrying a toolbox and had just dropped to the ground because of a massive heart attack. And I really believed that we were gonna see God do a miracle there. I went to that hospital believing that, that God had told us greater things than these shall you do. The prayer of the effective, of a righteous availeth much. It's effective, it avails much, it, it does something. That's what James tells us. When, when you're sick, call the elders and let them lay hands on you and pray for you. And I went into that situation, one of the first that I'd ever been to, and I remember walking into the door of that little hospital room and was with his family, his wife, his children, talking to them. And, and then I asked if I could have a moment with him and they all left the room and I just began praying over him. He was in a coma and just asking God to do what only God could do because it didn't look like they were going to be able to remove him from life support. Praying, praying, praying. Three or four days later, I did that man's funeral and watched as his widow and their teenage sons were just crushed. The next day, I got on an airplane and flew to Central America with a group of students from Liberty University who I was overseeing at the time, and we went to go do a work at an orphanage. And I cannot tell you the unimaginable stories that we heard from those children who had been placed in that orphanage. Destruction, harm, awful, unrepeatable stories. While we were there in the middle of the night, I was awakened by somebody running on the outside of the little dormitory we were staying and he started yelling, fire! fire and the dorm was on fire and we watched as it burned to the ground I remember thinking well Lord <laughs> what kind of greater things are these Lord what we prayed and he died and Lord we're here trying to do your work in all this brokenness if you're so good, how, how can it be broken like this? How can it be like this? How can it be that these people who are trying to do good see their dormitory burned to the ground? God, God, how can it be? I had to ask myself the question, do I believe? When you find yourself in a crisis of faith, taking the admonition of applying belief quickly goes 
a long way because most of the time we're overwhelmed by what's going on. We're overwhelmed by what we see. And it reminds me of a story of Peter walking on the water with the Lord Jesus Christ. I just read it this week in my devotional time and was just thinking about that again. It's such a great story, isn't it? They've, they've just fed this massive throng of people and Jesus says, you guys get in a boat and I'll see you on the other side. And they're in the middle of, of this storm on the lake and all of a sudden they think they see a ghost walking by and good old Peter, he does what we all wanna do. You remember it? Let's read it from Matthew chapter 14 and 29. He said, come, as Jesus said to him, climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? You ever feel like Peter? In one minute, it's like, call me out of the boat, Lord. I'm ready. And as soon as he does, you look around and the waves are crashing and the wind is strong. And it's like, I don't know about this. I, I, I don't know about this. I don't know what to do. Well, when we find ourselves in that crisis of faith, we have to go back to the resting place. We, we might be overwhelmed, but we have to apply belief quickly. I want to go back to that for a second. Why didn't God answer my prayer for that sick man? I had a couple of choices. God didn't care. Is that true? No. God didn't hear me. Is that true? No. It's because God had a different plan. It was bigger than my plan. I had to go back and ask myself these questions. What about this orphanage? God, if you're so good, why is all this destruction here? Is it because God's bad? No. Is it because people are evil and wicked? Yes. Oftentimes, we let our faith get small and we just shrink back from these things. And people say, if, the, if your God is so good, why would he allow that? Why would he do that? Are we in the place to justify God or to justify his actions? Remember when Job tried that? I love that passage at the end. Job's been whining like we all do. You're a whiner. Go on and admit it. Shake your head yes. I'm a whiner. Shake, do it right now. Don't lie in church. You'd be struck dead. You know how it is. We're all whiners, right? And you know what happens with Job, right? At the end of it, you know what God says? Won't you gird yourself up like a man and come stand before me? And I'm gonna ask you some questions. Where were you, Job, when I made the earth? Where were you? Oops, remember what Job said at the end? I've learned my lesson. I'm done. I got nothing else to say. Puts his hand over his mouth, done. We have to apply belief quickly. God's bigger than us. God loves us. I know that Jesus died for me. I know that God has provided for me. I know that God's will is perfect. When I apply belief quickly, it extinguishes those fiery darts from the enemy. When you're under fire, you take cover under the promises. You find yourself under fire, you go back to the promises of God, and you take cover. There's a second piece of equipment that we're told to pick up. It's the helmet of salvation. I'm gonna read it for you again from Ephesians 6, 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the next piece as well, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, that, that helmet in Roman times obviously had a purpose. 
It oftentimes had a, a hinged piece that would come and, and drop down over the jaw area to protect that. You can imagine what that would be like in club warfare or somebody swinging one of those big hammer type things or a sword, how that would be important. But it also had adornment on it, maybe like a plume so that you, you would have decoration with it and colors flying with it. And I believe this picture is taken for us right out of the Old Testament from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 59 in verse 17, where he says, he put on righteousness as body armor and helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. What the helmet of salvation supplies for us is the surety and safety that we need. It gives us safety from the fatal blow, doesn't it? We, we don't take a fatal blow from Satan. He cannot harm our souls. It won't happen. He cannot do anything to those of us who are in Christ that lasts for eternity. He can afflict us. He can tempt us. He can lob fiery temptations and trials at us, but he cannot harm our souls. They are safe and secure with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think about salvation, we know in fact right now we are standing saved. Now I want you to remember something. There's also a promise of salvation to come. You were saved in the past, you're being saved now, and you will be saved in eternity. And we talked about this early on in Ephesians, that so much of our salvation is not just for the here and now, that's great. But a lot of people miss this, and here's how they miss it. They'll miss it when they talk about salvation as if it was only for the temporal world. Here's, here's what I mean, wealth, health, and prosperity. You'll always be healthy, you'll always be rich, and everything you touch turns to gold, it's great. But that's just for the here and now. That, that, that misses so much of it. Do you remember we were told that we get the Holy Spirit as a down payment? Now, you don't need a down payment for something unless the transaction is to be completed at a later date. You make a down payment on a house, you take the home over and you start doing it. And the transaction takes place over a lifetime. You're paying it, doing those kinds of things. And one day you get a certificate of sale. It's fully yours. But when I talk to you and, and we talk about a house, if somebody... If somebody moves to Nashville, bless them as they're trying to buy a house right now. But if they move here and they buy a house, they don't come to you and say, yeah, we started making payments on a house. What do they say? We bought a house. We bought the house. It's ours. We put the down payment on it. It's coming. It's ours. Our salvation is the same way. The Holy Spirit's the, the seal for us. We were saved in the past. We're being saved from sin now. One day we will be fully saved when the presence of all of those things is driven away from us and we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in perfection. It's coming. So the helmet of salvation tells us that we have something to hope in. As Thessalonians calls it, the hope of salvation is your helmet. The hope of salvation being your helmet. When we talk about this idea of a decorative feature being there, that decorative plume, well, our lives are to be the adornment of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only decoration we need. I'm not, I'm not trying to build a decorated life around myself. You shouldn't be either. It's not about what we do, it's about what he has done and he's the decoration. We're clothed in his righteousness, we're given all of those things. So if there's any decoration to our lives and salvation, it's all Jesus's, it's none of ours. So we hide behind the promises, take cover under those. We put on the helmet of salvation, knowing that what has been done will carry us through to the future. And then he says, 
take up the sword of the Spirit. I don't know what happened to you when you read that verse, but when I read verse 17, there's a captivation that takes place. It captivates my spirit. Because when I see that, and I understand that we've been given something that truly is our only offensive weapon. It's all you've got. You get nothing else for this fight. You get the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I want you to notice how we fight. When we come up against the enemy, do we fight in our own strength? No. It's not about my strength. It's not about your strength. That would never work. Don't think for a minute that our enemy's about ready to roll over and that he's intimidated by you. You have nothing that you bring to the table that intimidates the enemy. You're not strong enough. You don't have intellectual powers to overcome the enemy. It doesn't work that way. We don't fight ourselves. We, we take the, the sword of the spirit in our hands and that's what begins to fight for us. We should never underestimate our enemy. He, he, he's a powerful enemy, but he cannot stand up against the word of God. He cannot stand against King Jesus, because King Jesus has defeated him once and for all. And he knows it because he thought maybe that he was going to win when he put Jesus on the cross and, and it was there. He thought, oh, we've got him there. Look, we've got the Jews in line. We've got everybody in line. Jesus has done, yes. But then, oh no, Jesus rose from the dead. And now he knows that there's a clock of expiration and it's running down. He cannot overcome that. So how do we fight? How do we do it? The verse that immediately comes to mind for me, maybe it did for you as well. It came from King David's method. King David understood this and he talks about it in Psalm 119 and verse 11. He says, I've treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I learned that in the King James version of the Bible and it's still hard for me to say it any other way. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. What is he talking about? He's talking about taking something and it becoming so immersed in your life that it does something for you. It keeps you from walking where you shouldn't walk. Later in that same Psalm, isn't it where he says, your word's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It becomes something that guides us, but here it becomes something that helps us fight. Last week we talked about how Jesus won when he was tempted. How did he drive Satan away? He did it with the word of God. Three temptations came. Satan tried to twist scripture and Jesus beat him back with scripture. That's how it works. And so it's an important thing for us to understand that this is something that we can start today and build day to day, month to month, year to year, over a lifetime. And if we do, think about the armament that we will possess. I often think a little bit about the word of God and how some of us think about the word of God. And it reminds me of a, a little pocket knife my dad used to carry everywhere he went. You ever see those little Swiss army knives? Pretty cool, right? I mean, kind of a gentleman's knife, you know? has a little blade on it for opening your little packages or that kind of thing. It's got scissors on it. It's got a little fingernail file, pair of small tweezers, toothpick, very handy, you know, those kind of things. You can carry a toothpick everywhere you go. And I think a lot of us, 
If we're being really honest, that's the kind of sword we're walking into a fight. Could you deliver a fatal blow with a Swiss army knife? Perhaps. But would you rather have a sword in your hand or would you rather have a little pocket knife in your hand? And and see, if we don't understand that, then we don't even understand what we're fighting against. If we build on it day to day, what happens is, this is kind of the one aspect of your life in this fight that you have some control over, isn't it? You have control over how much of the word you take in. See, a lot of us are treating the Bible a little bit like we would a tool to take a splinter out, you know? So it's kind of like, oh, I've got this little thing and it's kind of bothering me. Let me see if I can get my Bible and find my little pair of tweezers from that little Swiss army knife and I'll take it out. And life is so good again because I'm not feeling that little thing anymore. Folks, we're not dealing with a splinter. We're dealing with fiery darts. We're dealing with an enemy who wants to destroy us. And if we're going to be equipped for battle, we better be ready for what's coming. And the way to do that is to fight with the word of God. We, we have to start with it right there. We, we, we teach the word of God. We read the word of God. We memorize the word of God. We, we make it just kind of saturate all of our lives. Because what happens then is that when t- temptation comes and we need to fight, we see clearly how we should go. Because that word comes back to us, the word of God, which was breathed through the Holy Spirit, given to us in the Bible, is everything that we need. But a lot of us have family Bibles. They're great decorative pieces and it's nice for keeping the genealogies. A lot of us carry a Bible with us to to church and A lot of us pull it out when we find ourselves in trouble. Have you ever done this? I know you have, because you're like me, and I've done it too. Can we, can we just have a confession moment again? You confessed that you were a whiner earlier. Confession's gonna be good for the soul today. Have you ever faced a problem and just... False gods contrasted with the creator. Not what I was looking for. Nope. Have you done it? I've done it. I'm not saying that God can't use that. But doesn't that feel like just trying to use the Bible like it's a little Swiss army knife and, and not the sword that it was really given to us for? I love Bibles that are well-worn. I love it when I get to do a funeral for someone and I get to see their Bible and it's marked up and it's written up and the pages are creased and it's battered and the cover's all falling apart and those kinds of things because that's a Bible that's been used. That's a Bible that somebody knows. That's not reverence for the Bible. I, mean, I hope you have some reverence for God's word. It's important. But a lot of times we, we, we understand that we should have reverence for it, but we haven't reverentially treated it in such a way that it's saturated our lives so that we're ready to fight. And so the enemy comes and he's standing above us and he's, he's towering and he's lobbing these flames at us and pull out the little Swiss army knife and like, oh, are the scissors gonna work? Nope, 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 nope. Need, the, need that little blade. And we should have a sword. So that we can beat him back. This is why, folks, it's so important for us to understand that God's word is what we have. 
It's what's been revealed to us for us to build our lives upon. And I want to tell you, I know that we're in a day and an age that feels brand new where people are, are really running away from the Bible. And, and they say things like this. And, and I mean, I, I love this. You know, I, I like the Bible, but I think Jesus' words are more important than Paul's. Okay. What does that mean? You don't have to do anything that's contained in any of the epistles? I mean, is that, is that what it is? Or, or maybe we should do like one of our, our previous presidents did, the Jeffersonian Bible, right? He cut out all the parts he didn't like and created a new Bible for himself. Is, is that what we do? Folks, we've been in a battle for the Bible since it was written. And for us, we must affirm and say again today, and you have to do it, this is God's word and it is true. Every word of it, inerrant, infallible. It, it, I'm not excused from any part of it. It is true over my life. And we have to run away from anyone that says otherwise. And, and this is why I'm gonna tell you something. It's no wonder that so many so-called Christians have no fight in them at all. They don't believe this is true. It's the only thing we have to fight with. It's all you've got. And if you don't believe this is true, you go into the battle with a broken piece of armament. Nothing to stand on, nothing to fight with. The Bible is true. We must affirm it. We must believe it. We must live it. Because at the end of the day, this is what God's given us. So how do we do it? Well, you could start with something like the Navigators program for memorization. You can go online and buy that. Navigators, if you've ever been around any of their materials, fantastic materials. You could just start reading the Bible more. You could maybe think about trying to do something like we've talked about. Uh, I'm going to read the New Testament this year. I'm going to read all of the Psalms and Proverbs this month. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. I, I'm going to try to be in it consistently. You could download an app that would help you memorize scripture. There's many of them. If all else fails, you could come work in Awana and be a verse listener and let those little kids teach you something about memorizing the word of God. There's many ways that we can do it. You could take the grow class online. We, we have that available for you on our website where you can learn how to read and study your Bible. It's free, just, just go take it. I think it's a 30 minute class that we did for you to be able to do. We, we outline resources there for you. In the day and the age that we're living in, there's no reason for us not to have the Bible on our lips and in our minds all the time. It's for us and it's a gift. It's a weapon. I'm gonna tell you something. If you start down the rabbit trail of, well, the Bible is mostly true. The Bible is sometimes true. The enemy laughs at you because he has effectively disarmed you. Guys, we're in a fight today. You're in a fight whether you believe it or not. And because we're in a fight, we need to recognize that and be ready for it. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to run. We have to stand. We have to stand and resist. We have to trust the promises of God. We have to be sure of our salvation. We have to know that the word of God is our sword. It's what God has given us to fight with. 
And we need to be ready to make our stand today. Here's what's true. Before the week's out, before the day's out, Satan's gonna come at you. The question's going to be, are you going to be ready? Remember last week we talked about how most of us prepare our grocery list and our calendar for the week, but we're not prepared for this fight that we're in. What's keeping you from that? It could be this morning, maybe, that you're not sure you've ever been saved and you got these doubts about salvation. And it just renders you ineffective because they're crippling. They just hold you down. Well, you know, the easy way to deal with that is to address them. Address them. Don't run from them. Address them. We'll help you with that. Maybe today you would say, I know I've never been saved. I'm not even ready for the fight. Okay. No helmet of salvation. Well, thanks be to God. He's provided a way for us to know Jesus Christ, his son, and that we can be reconciled to God the Father through Christ. We'll tell you how to do that. It's right from the scripture. Maybe today it would be time for some of us to rededicate our minds to the promises of God and the word of God. We've been ineffective in the fight because we've given up on the promises of God. Some experience in the past told us that God wasn't good and we started believing that and now we're completely ineffective. Perhaps you've looked at the word of God and said, well, I know that it's kind of true or it's important, but I mean, I don't know that everything, really everything, and maybe it's time for us to repent and say, this is God's word. Every bit of it spoken to us, given to us, and for us to take hold of that and begin to fight. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads and pray with me now. For the one who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, could it be that you would just admit today that you have a need for God the Father? Would you just admit that right now you can't do it on your own? Admit that you're a sinner. Ask him to save you. Just cry out to him right there in your seat. God, save me. For the believer this morning, do you have some work to do? Do you need to recommit your life to the word of God? Maybe there's a situation in your life right now you're being attacked with and it is time to apply belief quickly and hide under the promises. As Satan throws those doubts at you right now, you just say, no, no, no. Not listen to that. I'm gonna trust the Lord. Father, this morning... We come in recognizing 
how we need you for this fight. It will not be because we outsmart our enemy. It won't be because we're stronger than him, but Lord, we believe you are stronger than anything and that you can fight for us and you've given us everything we need. Lord, we pray for the one who has not been reconciled to the Father right now. Holy Spirit, that you would do the work of convicting and drawing that man, that woman to salvation. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word of God, which is our weapon. Where we've compromised on that or given up on that, Lord, forgive us. I pray today that that we could look at your word and see it as a treasure. And Lord, that it would begin to saturate our lives and just come out of every spot, every temptation, Lord, that we find ourselves in. Lord, we confess today you are good. Lord, we apply that belief quickly today and we shelter under your promises. Protect and keep us from the evil one. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.